Welcome to the Richardson Seventh-day Adventist Podcast. I'm so excited for you to join us. Each week, we'll bring you a sermon from one of our ongoing series. This week, we continue our journey through Game Changer. It's a term that you often hear associated with sports, but it really applies to everything or anything. So enjoy, and let's get to it. Do we have sound? Amen. Amen. He knows my name. (laughs) As a matter of fact, Isaiah tells us that actually he has your name engraved in the palm of his hands. I believe that we serve a living God who made sure that he tatted it so you know it's real. (laughs) I'm going to just drop that for the young ones. They know what I'm talking about. Uh, I just want to take this moment and just uh, welcome you to Richardson SDA Church. For those who are tuning in online, we have not forgotten about you. We appreciate your viewership. I want to take this moment and just say God is good. And all the time, and that is his nature, folks. And today we'll be diving into God's word. But before we dive into God's word, I just want to take this moment to have Richard and Jackie stand up. Go ahead, stand up. I just found out that today is their last Sabbath here at Richardson. They were trying to hide it from me. You brought this on yourself. You brought this on yourself. So I just like us as a congregation to just tell them we love you and we're going to miss you. Yes, and uh, you know, I don't know why you'd pick a state that's only second to Texas. We're number one, baby. But yeah, we just want to <laughs> wish you a farewell. We love you guys. Thank you so much for everything you've been to our congregation and our church. And uh, uh, thank God that we serve a God who knows our names. Amen? Uh, I believe one thing. I believe, uh, I'm going to drop this real quick. Uh, We do church six days a week, but I believe on the seventh day we worship. (laughs) Yeah, 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 I don't understand what I'm talking about. You see, when you experience Jesus six days a week, the seventh day simply overflows. And so therefore, as we bump into each other in church, guess what? We're simply spilling a little bit of the experience that we had with Jesus. Somebody say amen. Amen. And so today, uh, can can y'all hear me? All right, awesome, awesome, awesome. I move a lot, so. All right. So today we're going to do something a little bit different because Pastor Byron ain't here. (laughs) So, hey, uh, what we're going to do is we're going to do something a little bit different. We're going to stand to our feet. I want you to stand to your feet. And we're going to turn to our main scripture text that's coming to us. Y'all need to fix me up? All right, we shall be back after these messages. Short messages. Good, good. We're set. We're set. Thank you, Jesus. Okay, so we're going to stand to our feet, and I want you to grab your Bible, be it on your phone or be it physically, and we're going to turn to our main scripture text at uh, 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 Luke chapter 10, verses 33, and when you get there, you know what to say. I want you to say, "Uh uh-huh, uh-huh, that's it. Luke chapter 10, oh Lord. All right, Luke chapter 10, verses 33, and when you get there, you know what to say. Uh Uh-huh, that's right. All right. And it says this, but a certain Samaritan, as he journeyed, came where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion on him. And he went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring his oil and wine, and set him on his own beast and brought him to the inn and took care of him. And the Bible says, on the morrow, when he departed, he took two pence and gave them to the host. And he said unto him, take care of him, and whatsoever you spend more, 
When I come again, I will repay thee. Which now of these three do you think was a neighbor unto the man who fell amongst the thieves? Verses 37. And he said, he that showed mercy unto him. Then Jesus said unto him, go and do likewise. I want you to turn to your neighbor and say game changers are needed. Today's sermon is entitled, Like a Good Neighbor. And if State Farm, you're watching, I want you to sponsor Richardson SDA Church. We put out a good name for you, all right? So let's all bow heads for a word of prayer. Father in heaven, I just want to thank you so much for this opportunity. I pray that you may use this broken vessel to speak your word. I pray that the spirit of the living God may fall afresh on each and every one of us in this place. Lord, we need you more than we've ever needed you before. Speak to your people, Lord, because I have nothing to tell them. I pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. When it comes to pastoring, one of the hardest things you have to deal with is death. And uh, the reason why it's so hard to deal with death is because it doesn't matter how many Bible verses you may quote, how many promises you show, death is simply painful. And uh, when I think of this thing called death, a story comes to mind that was unforgettable, a story that was told by Pastor Michael Kelly. If you guys know Pastor Michael Kelly, uh, he's an amazing pastor, and he told uh, the story of a, a very peculiar funeral that he had. Now, uh, a young man about the age of 23 in his church had just, uh, who had just left gang activity the year before. Uh, you, you know what they say about gang activity. When you leave gangs, you don't really leave gangs. And so, as he was resting at home one night, uh, the rival gang had, uh, had found him out, and they busted the door open. They pulled out their guns and shot him several times. He died leaving behind two children. And so therefore, uh, Pastor Kelly had to do the funeral of this young man. And this funeral was like no other he had ever prepared for because this funeral was out of, out of the blue. It was something entirely different because as he was starting to conduct the funeral, as people were trickling in, he noticed that gang members had came that day to pay their respects to this young man. And as they started to trickle in and mix with the church members, also police officers were in that place because they knew that this would be a prime place for retaliation by the rival gang. And so as he was sitting there looking into the congregation, he knew that he had an opportunity like no other. He understood that this would be a game changer uh, moment. So he started to ask God, what is it do you want me to tell your people today, Lord? How am I going to start this sermon and the Lord inspired him and told him, I want you to quote Biggie. And he was like, excuse me, Lord, Biggie. Now, for you who don't know, uh, Biggie Smalls is probably one of the most iconic rappers of all time. He is known as Notorious B.I.G. And if you don't know who he is, he's like the Elvis Presley of rap. So, so God told him, you need to quote Biggie. And, and so as he was thinking about it, he was like, all right, Lord, if that's what you want me to do, I'm going to do it. Now, 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 what track should I quote from? And in his mind, he was inspired to quote a track called uh, Suicidal Thoughts by Biggie. As Pastor Kelly walked up to the podium, he stood in front of the congregation and he began to quote the track. And it went something like this. When I die, I want to go to hell. Because I'm a piece of, and it ain't hard to tell. Ain't no sense in going to heaven and hanging out with the goody goodies dressed in white. I like black tims and black hoodies. And right there, he had the attention of the entire congregation. <laughs> and they were like, whoa, who's this cat quoting Biggie? 
And so this uh, sermon ended up being a little bit different. It was a sermon like never heard before at a funeral because at a funeral, most of the time, you make something general like, I would just like you to accept Jesus into your heart. But the Holy Spirit inspired him to treat this like a revival series. And so therefore, at the end of his sermon, he was bold in his appeal. And he said, if you want to accept Jesus into your heart, I want you to stand to your feet and come forward. And when he made that appeal... Over a hundred gang members stepped forward to accept Jesus into their hearts. And as he was working out the plans with his church members on how they're going to reach these gang members, how they're going to give them Bible studies and visit with them, uh, some church members took him aside and said, oh, Pastor Mark Kelly, this is amazing, isn't it? He was like, yeah, Pastor was like, yeah, God was awesome in this place and all that. And, and they were like, well, Pastor, we have some concerns. And, and Pastor Kelly was like, all right, I understand. Uh, we may need to get extra Bible workers. We may need to order more Bible studies. And they were like, no, 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 Pastor, uh, that's not really our concern. We have another concern, and we believe this is a safe place to talk about it. So we don't know how to say it, so we're just going to go ahead and say, you see, Pastor, we're concerned uh, that, you know, uh, if they answer the appeal for baptism and they want to accept Jesus into their hearts, uh, th th that means they'll be attending this church, right? <laughs> and Pastor Kelly's like, uh, well, 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 yeah, uh, that, I believe that's part of the goal. And they were like, well, pastor, you see, uh, 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 we are concerned that if, if they start to attend this church, their teenagers may want to join Pathfinders, and, uh, and they might start cussing around our kids. And we're concerned that when they start to join this church, uh, uh, we're concerned that they might start to uh, woo our daughters and want to date them. And we're concerned that as they join this church, they might start slinging drugs if they're slinging the streets in this church. And as Pastor Kelly was thinking about this, he realized that what was coming up to the surface was a tension that was going on in the hearts of his church members. And I believe that tension that's going on there was the same tension that's going on here in Richardson. And the tension comes from the idea of who does the church belong to. When Jesus was on earth and he was thinking about his church that would represent him, who was he thinking of? And I believe today we have an opportunity at answering this question in our sermon like a good neighbor, the goat tells the story. So today I want you to turn to Luke chapter 10 verses 25 where we begin this awesome story a story that has been overlooked. And I'm going to read it in your hearing. And when you get to Luke chapter 10, verses 25, you know what to say. Uh-huh. Work with me, work with me, work with me. The Bible says this. And behold, a certain lawyer stood up and tempted him, saying, Master, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And he said to him, What is written in the law? How readest thou? And he answered and said, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, You have answered right. Do this, and you will live. But willing to justify himself, said unto Jesus, Who is my neighbor? I want you to turn to whoever you're sitting next to and ask them, Who's my neighbor? Who's my neighbor? 
And so Jesus, being the slick guy that he is, I mean, this <laughs> Jesus is slick, y'all, okay? He decides to answer this question in a parable. As we continue in verses 30, and he answered him and he said, a certain man went down from Jerusalem to Jericho. He went where? Down to uh, Jericho and fell among thieves with, uh, which stripped him of his raiment and wounded him and departed, uh, leaving him half dead. The Bible says, by chance, there came down a certain priest that way, and when he saw him, he passed on by on the other side. And likewise, a Levite, when he uh, was at that place, came and looked on him and passed on the other side. But here comes the game changer, y'all. Verse 33, but a certain Samaritan. As he journeyed, came where he was, and when he saw him, the Bible says he had what? Compassion on him. And he went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring in oil and wine, and sent and set him on his beast, and brought him to an inn and took care of him there. Verses 35, it says, on the morrow... When they departed, uh, when he departed, he took out two pence, two silver coins, and gave them to the host and said unto him, Take care of him, and whatsoever you spend more, when I come again, I will repay you. And therefore Jesus asked, Which now of these three do you think was the neighbor unto him that fell amongst thieves? And catch this. And he said, He that showed mercy to him. And Jesus said unto him, go and do likewise. Mm. Now, the story of the Good Samaritan is a popular story. As a matter of fact, everybody and their mama knows the story of the Good Samaritan. As a matter of fact, it's so popular that people who don't even claim to be religious, people who don't claim to be religious, especially Christian, know the story of the Good Samaritan. And this story is so, so popular that it has became a Good Samaritan law. Did you know there's a thing called a Good Samaritan law? I'll explain it real quick. A Good Samaritan law is if you are in a position to save someone who is about to lose his life and in the process of saving them, you injure them, you will not be found liable for the injuries you give them. Meaning this, if you were driving down the highway and you saw Pastor Godwin was in a crash, and guess what, his, he's passed out in the car, and the car is about to blow up, and in the process of saving him from that car that's about to blow up, you broke some of his ribs, I cannot sue you for breaking my ribs because you saved my life. And likewise today, I want to claim a sort of spiritual Good Samaritan law because I'm going to hurt you today, but it's going to be a good type of hurting where it will come and result in saving. So is that okay with you? Because we got to be serious about this God thing. I think I've come to a place in my life where I think we need to stop playing church. Mm. God has called us to something higher. Amen? <sighs> Who's the church for? And so, this Good Samaritan parable... We're going to be diving into it, and, and uh, this parable of the Good Samaritan has been so popular for so long that it has lost its significance and meaning and understanding. But this morning, I pray, as the Holy Spirit moves and works with me, you will see it from a fresh perspective. Amen? And, uh, and if we understand this story completely, we will be able to be that which we're trying to do, and that's be game changers. Amen? So, the story of the Good Samaritan 
has a lot to offer to us. Now, if you remember Pastor Johnny's sermon, how many of us remember Pastor Johnny's sermon last week? It was about what? You could talk to me. Talk to me, talk to me. The sower and the what? And the seed, right? Now, now, what we understand about this thing called parables is parables are like a read-between-the-line kind of story. You feel me? The story has a deeper significance than what is given, right? That we understood from that sermon last week that the sower was a representation of who? Jesus. Come on. Come on, y'all. Work with me. Work with me, okay? Now, the seed was a representation of what? The gospel. Thank you so much, okay? So these were signs and symbols that God had to portray in the parable for us to have a deeper understanding. And today I want to bring us to a new level on the story of the Good Samaritan because God has a bigger vision for his church. Okay? Now I'll need your attention to understand the parable of the Good Samaritan. We'll have to read between the lines, and God has a special message for us today. Now, the only way we can truly understand the parable of the Good Samaritans is we have to uh, read between the lines, right? We have to identify the characters involved because each and every character in the story of the Good Samaritan has a special meaning and representation, okay? So we're going to have to name the characters. Now, when, you read, when we read through the story, how many characters did you see? Huh? Okay, name some characters. Who, who's one of the characters? Come on. The, the Good Samaritan, okay? So we got the Good Samaritan, right? He's, the, he's like the star of the story, right? Now, now, there's not only the Good Samaritan, but get, guess what? There's another person. The injured man, the victim, right? And then there's another person. There's the priest, right? And then guess what? There's the Levite, right? There's the thieves, right? The robbers, right? And what else? The innkeeper. Now, I want to say that there's another character. I bet you I didn't even notice him. He was just chilling in the back, but he was helping. You know who that character is? He's one of my favorites in this story. The donkey. The donkey. He has a special significance. Now, if you follow with me, you can come to a place of really understanding what's going on. You see, each and every character in this story has a significance. Each and every character in this story has something that it's representing. Now, if you follow me, you can see what Jesus was trying to portray in the story of the Good Samaritan. So, we have the opening scene, right? This man was traveling from Jericho... I mean, from Jerusalem downward into Jericho. And as he was traveling downward into Jericho, the Bible tells us that thieves popped up. They beat the man up. They robbed the man up. And they left him tattered and halfway to death. Now, who does the thief represent? All right. The Bible tells us here in John chapter uh, 10, verse 7, it says, Then Jesus said unto them, Verily I say unto you, I am the door of the sheep. All that ever came before me are, what? Thieves and robbers. But the sheep did not hear them. I am the door by me. If any man enter, ye shall be saved and shall go in and out and find pasture. And verses 10, I want you to pay attention. The thief comes not, but for to what? steal and to kill and to destroy. I want to say it's fair to assume that the thief is who? Satan. The thief has come to what? Steal, kill, and what? Destroy. And who has this? Uh, Satan does this. Uh, who has Satan does? Who has Satan done this to? Humanity. 
So the first character that we, uh, uh, we find is the thief, and the thief represents Satan, right? And so Satan has come, and he has stolen, he has robbed, and he has left humanity half dead. The injured man is humanity, right? And the Bible tells us when all this happens, this injured man, humanity, has been laying there. He's halfway to dead, or to death, excuse me, and then a certain person comes walking. The Bible says as, as a priest was walking down that same way, the Bible says he saw the injured man. He noticed the injured man. And, but the Bible says though he noticed the injured man, he went another way. He saw him and he was like, uh, I'm not dealing with that. I'm going to go a different way. Now, another situation happens where the Levite, some uh, versions of the Bible may call him a temple assistant, saw the injured man. But the Levite did something different than the priest did. He decided to go over and check it out. And when he saw the injured man, he noticed the injured man. He acknowledges the injured man, but he also decides to go the different way. I'm going to come back to that. But the Bible says there comes a game changer, right? And this game changer is who? The Good Samaritan. Now, I could beat around the bushes with all the Bible verses, but we don't have enough time. I'm going to let you know that the Good Samaritan is Jesus. And the way I know that is because the Bible tells us the Good Samaritan was traveling from Jerusalem down into Jericho. And the reason why this is really important and it's factual, you realize that if you study it up, you'll find that Jerusalem was literally 2,500 feet above sea level, okay? But Jericho was only 700 feet. So therefore, when the Good Samaritan was coming down into Jericho, he was coming from a place that is high down to a place that's low. And he came down to minister to humanity. Shouldn't you be grateful that we serve a God who comes from a high place to a low place to minister to humanity? Oh, y'all had to get excited. You see, whenever we couldn't come to Jesus, Jesus came to us. You know, I was actually reading my devotion the other day. And I read in the Bible that God dwells in thick darkness. I was like, what? And that don't even sound right. And I started to wonder, why is it, does God, the Bible say God dwells in thick darkness. And as I started to wonder, I started to realize the reason why God, our living God, the God who is characterized by light and love and brightness, the reason why he dwells in thick darkness is because he knows Godwin is in thick darkness. And though he's not waiting for me to come to the bright light, he comes into my thick darkness, okay, in hopes that as I'm walking in my thick darkness, I may encounter and experience him and if I encounter and experience him I'll be able to walk with him to the light we serve an amazing God I want to say to you today that God is more committed to saving you than you are committed to being saved because God could have waited for injured man to figure it out but he comes to the injured man humankind. And the Bible says he takes a couple more steps as we continue. When, he, when the good Samaritan encounters the injured man, what does he do? The Bible says as he encountered the injured man, he does not treat him like the priest and the temple assistant, the Levite, does. Because there's a little catalyst that changes the game. The Bible says in verses 33, but a certain Samaritan, as he journeyed came where he was, and when he saw him, the Bible says, he had compassion. 
upon it. I want to let you guys know, compassion is a game changer. I want to say that sometimes the reason it is that we are inactive in our church, the reason why it is we don't reach out to dying humanity is because we really don't have compassion for them. We don't have a heart for people. Because you see, compassion leads you into action. I'm going to say that again. (laughs) Compassion leads you into action. I want to say that love that does not cause you to move, a love that does not cause an action is as defunct as faith without works. Because love will move you. Bible says, as the good Samaritan is coming down, Jesus is coming down. The reason why he comes down is because he has compassion for you and I. And this compassion causes him to do some things, okay? Because the compassion causes some actions. And these actions are talked about. And the Bible says in verses 34, and he went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring what? What does the good Samaritan do? Oh, if you are a Bible student, you better get excited. Get excited. Oh, you got, let me hear it. Amen. Come on. Because in this, oh my, oh man, I don't even know where to start with this. The Bible says the Holy, oh my goodness, oh my goodness. The Bible says the good Samaritan is moved by his compassion, right? And when he's moved by his compassion, he comes and he bounds up the wounds of humanity, right? And in bounding up the, the, the wounds of humanity, he pours two things out. What? The oil and the wine. Now, in the Bible, what is the oil representation of? The Holy Spirit. And what is wine a representation of? The blood of Jesus. Jesus' compassion, his compassion led to committing into an action that caused him to die on the cross for humanity. And not only that, he wasn't finished. He decided to give them a comforter. And guess what? The good Samaritan, Jesus Christ, is not done yet. Okay? Because the Bible says he does something after he does that. What does he do? Talk to me. It's all there. Huh? He puts him on his donkey. Now, I'm going to take a couple step backs, kind of like James Harden, so you guys can understand how amazing this is. You see, back in the times of Prophet Samuel, the children of Israel wanted to move on from one type of, uh, 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 you know, way of doing government to a different way. They wanted to move on from a theocracy into a, 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 a monarchy. You see, uh, the children of Israel were, they were led by God. You see, a theocracy is a God-led government. You understand me? But they wanted to move on from all that, and they wanted a king. So they came to Samuel. It's like, look, Samuel, is not you, it's us. You've done a great job ministering to us, but we're trying to move on. 
Look, all the other nations around us, pagan nations, have kings. We want a king too. Why don't you go to the Lord and tell him to give us a king? And so therefore Samuel goes to the Lord, right? And he asked the Lord about giving Israel a king. And, and Samuel is dejected. And God tells him, look, they haven't uh, uh, rejected you. They have rejected me. And so God bends to the will of his people and he gives them a king. But God had a plan for these kings because these kings were still supposed to represent who God was to them. And so God set up rules and guidelines of all kings. As a matter of fact, Deuteronomy chapter 17 uh, towards the end parts uh, explains a little bit of the guidelines of what a king of Israel should have been. And, and one of the things that God decides to highlight that is really peculiar is the kings of Israel were not allowed to enter into the city of Jerusalem on a, on a, on a horse. And the reason why that is, is because pagan kings, whenever they would want to show their pomp and royalty and the right to the throne, they would enter into the city on a white horse. And so God had to humble the kings to allow them to understand that your power, your authority, your right to the throne does not come by your power, but it, becomes, it comes from God's power. And so what God instituted is this idea that when a king would be anointed king, as he entered into the city, he would enter it in a donkey. Because a donkey was a sign that he has a submission to God. A donkey was a sign that if he had a submission to God, he had the right to rule. And therefore, if he had a submission to God and had the right to rule, the throne was rightfully his. Let me explain it for a minute. If y'all ever read the Bible and you read the scene where Jesus is coming into Jerusalem on a donkey and they're laying down reeds, that wasn't an act of uh, humility. That was an act of Jesus saying, I am king. Y'all understand what I'm saying? Y'all understand what I'm dropping, what I'm sprinkling, huh? Yeah? And so therefore, when Jesus in the Good Samaritan comes and sees beat up, torn up, robbed up, half dead humanity, he's moved by compassion and he goes down to humanity. He pours his blood for humanity. He gives humanity his spirit. And not only that, he's not done. He bounds up humanity and he puts him on his donkey, which has a right to his throne. Catch this, catch this. Jesus was not, he, he, was, he was not just going to pay the debt that humanity had. He was not only going to pay the debt and bring him up to zero, but he was not going to only pay the debt, but also make humanity wealthy. You catch what I'm dropping? What if somebody came to you right now and looked at the student loans and he's like, you know what? Look, that, that looks mad messy, Okay. You ain't never going to pay that. How about this? Let me pay off your student loans. I know some of y'all would lose it, right? And not only that, but they say, I'm not only going to pay off your debt, okay? But I'm going to make sure I put a couple million dollars in your pocket. You see, when Jesus came down, he wasn't only interested in saving humanity, but he put humanity on his throne. He made humanity co-heirs with him. He gave humanity a piece of all that he had. Y'all ought to get excited about Jesus. So the Good Samaritan, he's different, ain't he? He's a game changer, ain't he? But he's not done yet. (laughs) 
he's not done yet because the Bible tells us that the Good Samaritan wasn't done with this situation. As, uh, as he continues, he continues to minister to humanity. As a matter of fact, he says, and he went and bound him up, bound his wounds up, poured out in oil and wine and set him on his own beast. And the Bible says that he brought him to an inn and took care of him in the inn. Amen. And it says, on the morrow when he departed, he took two silver coins or two pences and gave them to the host and said unto him, take care of him. And whatsoever you spend more, I will come again and I will repay you. All right. So here we have a new character. Who is it? The innkeeper. And the Bible tells us that the good Samaritan, the representation of Jesus, goes to the host and he tells them, look, here's beat up, broken up, robbed up humanity. I am going to entrust them to you to continue to do what I've been doing. I want to ask you today, who's the host? We are the innkeepers. We are the innkeepers and the responsibility that God has given us is to minister to mankind. Because mankind, Jesus paid it all for them. This is our mission and our goal. This is why there is a church. Regardless if mankind is Muslim or maybe even atheist, did you know that God has called us to minister to them? The problem is... We have an inn full of innkeepers ministering to innkeepers. And let me blow your mind real quick. I was going to take it this. Yeah, y'all getting an exclusive because I didn't even talk about this during first service. Okay. In this story, did you know that there's actually more game changers than you think? Did you know the priest was a game changer? Did you know the, 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 the Levite was a game changer, right? The reason why I say that is because normally when we say game changers, we associate it with something good. How many Dallas Cowboy fans are in here? Okay. I'm going to hurt you real quick, okay? Y'all remember 2007? Huh? A wild card playoff game. You guys were down to 2021 uh, 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 to the Seahawks. And all y'all had to do was kick a field goal, but a game changer named Tony Romo happened. Yeah. And later on that year, guess what? The Seahawks ended up playing in the Super Bowl, right? Game changer. You see, sometimes when we don't live according to our mission, we think we're not game changers. We are. We're just game changers for the wrong reasons. We become a tagline. We become the reason why people hate Christianity. And I believe as a church, we have the opportunity to choose which kind of game changer we're going to be. Are we going to be the priest who saw dying humanity, noticed it, but didn't even want to look over there and kept on walking? Are we going to be the Levite? Are we going to notice humanity and actually go look over and, uh, okay, see their situation, but do nothing about it? Or are we going to work hand in hand? With the good Samaritan Jesus in the healing of humanity, who's our neighbor, huh? How do we change the game? Because that's what you really paid your money for, right? We got this sermon on pay-per-view, guys, okay? Who's your neighbor? I believe this. Sometimes we look forward to the Sabbath. 
We look forward to coming to church. We look forward to experiencing Jesus at church. And on our way to church during the week, we pass by dead bodies. Now, 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 to be a game changer, okay, you just not, you don't need to know the what, you need to know the how, right? God has a playbook. Did you know God has a playbook for you? Did you know that Jesus is not expecting you to do something he never did? Okay, so therefore the only way we can minister to humanity, right, the only way we can actually do this is by looking at how Jesus did it, right? Look, if you want to be the goat, you got to play like the goat. If you want to be the goat, you got to practice like the goat. If you want to be the goat, you got to eat like the goat, right? Kobe knows. Basketball guys know what I'm talking about. All right, so there are five dimensions of ministry, okay? Now, the reason why I say this is because when Jesus was here on earth, he changed the game on how he ministered. You see, when Jesus was ministering to humanity, he didn't only preach. Y'all know that? Did you know a lot of the things that Jesus did was based on healing? As a matter of fact, they say that Jesus did most of his miracles on what? The Sabbath day. Ministry, all right? And the reason... Why I bring this up is because sometimes we think ministering to people is simply preaching and singing and doing Bible studies. I want to say that's not true. Sometimes we think the only way we can reach our community is by doing evangelistic series. I want to say that's not true because guess what? Your community has a lot more. There's a lot more needs that need to be met in our community more than just spiritual needs. Because let me tell you the truth, nobody cares what you have to preach about if they're hungry. Okay, so, so what are the five dimensions? We're going to talk about it. You see, to every human being, did you know that you're spiritual? Yeah? But let me blow your mind, you're not only spiritual, because if we were just spiritual, I'd be preaching to ghosts today. Okay? Now, you're not only spiritual, but guess what? You're physical. That means you get hungry, you get tired, you get sick, right? And if you're any of those things, guess what? I can't reach you physically, I mean spiritually, until I meet your physical needs. Am I right? All right? Not only that, did you know every human being is mental? That means this. We actually seek to grow mentally. It's part of our experience of living. You feel me? Not only that, but we're social. That means this. Did you know that you were created to be in relationship? Did you know it is almost inhumane to isolate a human being? And I know folks who can know all the Bible in the world but still feel empty. You know why? They don't have friends. They feel lonely. Okay? Let me catch this, okay? Because we're going we're gonna to just go over a little bit, a little bit. Uh, we got a couple more minutes. And guess what? Human beings are emotional. There ain't no denying it. Okay? Let me tell you something. There are people, you know what might? A good hug. Maybe listening to what they're going through. Maybe reaching out and telling them that you're caring. Did you know that there might be some people in our pews right now who are contemplating some suicidal thoughts? If we're going to minister to people physically, we are to start taking the physical needs of people most seriously. That means when Elsa comes up here and says, we need some food for potluck, she's doing the work of God. And y'all need to work with her. Okay? And guess what? Guess what? There is some social needs that people have in this church because there's some people who come in. They're brand new to the community. They love Jesus just as much as you, but they're feeling a certain emptiness because they feel like they're not a part of a family. Why won't you extend a hand and say, you know what? The Sabbath, I'm going to invite somebody new to my place to eat. 
social needs. Okay? Let me tell you something. I, I'm going to step on your toes right now. As a matter of fact, we, it is shameful how big of a church we are and we don't have a social committee. Shameful. I want somebody to step up and say that is a need I know we can feel in our church. Okay? Jesus wants us to be game changers. I don't know about you, but I want to be a game changer, right? Jesus is simply calling us higher, and I believe in these pews that they're, they're gifts that God has given you to be the game changer Richardson and Dallas needs. Let me put it this way. I'm going to end on this story, okay? Um, I remember one time, yeah, I remember Pastor Stephen. Um, I mean, I love Pastor Stephen, and... Uh, one time we went and uh, we were grabbing some Chipotle, okay? So we were over at Chipotle just right off Koi, uh, uh, right? You know that Chipotle up there, right? And as we were there, we were, uh, you know, we we're just walking in and, you know, surveying everything that's going on in Chipotle. And uh, we noticed something really interesting. A lot of the people in Chipotle were eating had shirts on matching shirts on and so you know uh us being the social curious people that we are we went over to one of them and we just tapped their shoulders like hey how you doing we really like your shirts why are you guys wearing matching shirts right and so the lady started talking about how they are working uh they're teachers okay and they work at richardson high school now how many of us know where richardson high school is <laughs> they're literally up the street from us right and guess what? As they were, uh, as they were saying, okay, uh, we were getting together. We were doing some orientations for all of our teachers. We had matching shirts on. And guess what? We decided to all come to Chipotle because we were sponsored to eat at Chipotle by Watermark Church. Okay, okay, that's dope. They do that. I need to get sponsored too. And I'm like, that is dope. That's a dope ministry. They're meeting a need in the community. Guess what? They're connecting with the school. They're feeding the teachers. They're letting them know that they're there. They're behaving like Jesus. And as I sat there, I became a little devil's advocate. And I hit Pastor Stephen a little bit. I was like, I'm going to ask him. And I asked him, hey, uh, do you know uh, Richardson SDA Church? Do you know where it's at? It's like, what is that? No, we don't know where that is broke my heart. I want to let you guys know, this is not a competition, okay? I don't want you to think of it as a competition. Do you know how long Watermark Church has been there? 12 years, yeah, Watermark. Do you know how long Richardson has been in Richardson? 62 years. The reason why I'm talking about this is so we don't get defensive or pity ourselves. I'm just saying there's a lot more that we can do. Amen? I know our community can feel us if we only decide to step out and be more like Jesus. We have enough people in here who could be game changers. I don't know about you, but if you believe you're a game changer, stand up to your feet. If you don't, it's okay. You can sit down. It's cool. I believe we could be game changers. It's time to be a game changer. Okay? So therefore... My last slide, this is the point I wanted to make. Like a good neighbor. Help. 
Be there. Be there. Let's bow our heads forward in prayer. Father in heaven, I just want to thank you so much because you gave us this opportunity to be game changers. Lord, I know we have not lived up to the calling that you have for us, but now is the time to turn that corner and say, you know what, Lord, we're going to be most serious about your work. We're going to reach out and minister to humanity all around us, minister to humanity that is dying, that needs your love, that needs your tenderness to be poured out to them from those who are filling up on the overflow here in the church. Lord, I ask you that this may be that moment that Richardson hits that next gear in how we do ministry. Father in heaven, I pray that your spirit may fall mightily upon us. Give us a double portion. Call us, convict us, and stretch us, Lord, because we believe you're coming soon. And Lord, I pray that when you do return, that each and every soul in this place may hear good and faithful servant. Welcome to my rest. I pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen. Thanks so much for listening. I hope you were blessed by this sermon. Next week, we'll continue our journey through Game Changers. So bring a friend, listen, have a conversation, and remember, you're in our prayers.